Hey guys, welcome to the Mag Life Podcast. I'm Daniel Shaw, but I'm not your host today. Your host will be Jeremy Stone, an employee here at Gum Mag Warehouse. Uh, he has uh, a little desire to, to do a little podcasting, and he's a bright young man. So he is going to uh, be talking with me today and uh, be ready. He gets a little bit more political than we usually do on the Mag Life Podcast. So uh, enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mag Life Podcast. I am not Daniel Shaw. I am Jeremy Stone, but I do have with me a very special guest, Daniel Shaw. Daniel, welcome to your show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for allowing me to host. I've got a few questions for you specifically regarding your military service. You're the guest, and I want to know a few things about you. So first and foremost, I know you weren't real fond of school. You pretty much wanted to get out of there as soon as you could, so you graduated a little early. But why did you go with the Marines specifically whenever you could have picked any of them? Why did you pick the Marines? Uh, it's funny. you know, way I, The way I grew up was um, in a very religious household and I was allowed to read military books with Christian leanings and uh when you go through these long spells where like you know what we're going to take the TV and donate it to the church we don't need it anymore uh that kind of thing like then you you pick up some books and uh I was allowed to read military books that have like a Christian leaning so I did that a lot and I kept seeing these marines pop up and that people seemed to really respect and looked more into it and known to be a very difficult recruit training and pipeline to become a Marine. And, uh, you know, I just, the, the challenge kind of drew me in. That's very cool. I mean, Prestige. I, I'm sure that sucked at the time of like getting your TV taken away. It was probably pretty good for you. Oh yeah. No, I don't know that. Especially now. It's probably the best thing we could do right now is turn off the news and go outside. I mean, my parents complained about it, but they never really took anything away. Like I, I played video games a lot when I was younger, but they didn't necessarily take anything away. I didn't necessarily break any rules either that would, you know, get me in trouble to get it taken You were away. a good kid, huh? Yeah, I mean, I was the youngest of three, so I got to see the mistakes and how not to make them. Uh, and I also didn't really push it very much with my parents. I, I did with some teachers and stuff, but uh, with my parents, I, I didn't really push it that far. But at the same time, it probably would have done me pretty good to invest a little bit more time younger into something like reading because I now that's a little bit more of a challenge. I, I do a lot more listening than I do reading with audiobooks and stuff like that. Let's be clear. I'd have rather been watching Ninja Turtles. Well, exactly. Yeah, any, or, I feel like any kid would definitely prefer that. But as a parent, it's probably a, a good call to make sure they don't get to do whatever they want all the time. So it's probably not going to end up very well for the kid. Uh, so what did you learn in the military that you could not learn in the civilian world? Oh man, how long is this podcast? <laughs> uh, that's the, thing. that's a tough one. The biggest thing I, you, you mentioned earlier, how much, you know, we had been talking, you know, over the, the time that I've known you that I did, I, I hated high school, like with a passion, hated every second of it. And Something that I learned in the Marine Corps that probably one of the biggest things that still has impacted me today is how to learn, not because I, I went to school and I did the things that we had to do at school and I, I hated all that. Then I get to recruit training and I got to just 
check all these boxes and do what I'm told. And it's really pretty simple as long as you give 100% and you're not completely dumb. But then I started getting into some different fields, I guess you could say, where uh, I was required to teach a lot and people were really listening to me and uh, paying attention to what I was saying and taking notes while I was talking, just like I used to when I was a younger Marine. And I, I found out that I really need to make sure I'm getting things right. So um dove into some research and I didn't really know how to research. So learning how to research and uh, evaluate sources and information and everything else. And then um, started some some college later on in my time in the Marine Corps and, and worked really hard and, and finished that stuff up and started using some of those things where, you know, just having the the understanding of, of what the objective is the, that I need to learn to increase my capabilities that would allow me to increase others around me's capabilities to make my Marines better warfighters and myself a better leader of those warfighters. And uh, so, you know, I read a lot, researched a lot, uh, tested a lot. And um, just kind of learned about the scientific method and just how to learn, you know, not just like me physically, not the the sports medicine or whatever part of that or the human factors, I guess you could say, but just what I needed to do to increase my my capabilities in any given thing. So now when I run into something, I've never been amazing at anything. I've never been great at any sport. I've always been a, a competitor on every sport I've played. And I've always been, you know, you knew I was on the field or on the court. But, uh, you know, I was never like a star at anything. And I, I always had to, to put in a little bit more effort because maybe I didn't have the natural athletic ability or um, I didn't understand how everything worked. So I would study the, the details of whatever I was doing, the rules, you know, whatever else, and, uh, and just try to get an edge uh, in any way that I could just through basically gaining knowledge and, and understanding. And I, and I still do that with uh, everything today. Well, I mean, it sounds pretty parallel to me. I mean, I've, I've been waiting for a while to discover what it is that I'm going to be naturally good at and just like knock everything out of the park with it. Uh, and nothing's come like that. Anything that I've ended up getting good at is because I've put effort into it and put a lot of time behind. Uh, and for example, in high school, I didn't like math. I didn't think I was good at math. But when I got to college and I took an accounting class, my mindset switched. And all of a sudden, this was valuable to me. I could see the value behind accounting. I could see the numbers behind it because obviously I want to have a ton of money. Uh, but there wasn't really that explanation in high school as to like why we're learning this. And that very well could be the same for you. The information you were learning in high school didn't seem nearly as valuable to you as what you were learning in the Marines as far as like how to stay alive and keep your buddies alive as well. Uh, and that clearly made a, uh, a mindset switch for you. Oh, yeah. Was that training part of it the most rewarding part of your service? training other guys to get ready or was it something else? No, the most rewarding part of, of my time in the, the Marine Corps was just, I think, getting exposure to so many different people from different walks of life, from different areas, different places, different cultures in a lot of time. And the new knowledge that is gained when you get a bunch of like-minded folks together uh, that all signed up to join mm. the Marine Corps in a time of war in a lot of cases, or most of my time in the Marine Corps, when you get all them together, the the new knowledge and experience that's generated is just amazing. Like you could be out somewhere uh, on a deployment in Iraq. We had a, 
we had a tanker who was like a chemist and, and he like made us some blasting caps. We had a, if you need something built or something done and you can scrounge some wood, like there's a guy who was a carpenter right there. You know, there's, there's just so many skills and so many things that people brought from their lives before they joined the Marine Corps that, and you end up doing something, you know, maybe you're, you're in charge of all these Marines, but this day, because of what you're doing, uh, yeah, you're the overall project manager, I guess you could say, but, uh, a smart leader would say, Hey, this, this guy that's four ranks under me knows a lot about this thing. So he's going to make all the technical calls on this and, uh, learn things in the process. So that was a lot of, that was, I, I thought that was really beneficial getting, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, I don't want to sound hippie on this, but it's like, it's a broader worldview that's created because you're not just seeing them or talking to them or meeting them real quick. You might be living in a hole with them for three, four months. Mm. You know, when I was in Iraq, I, I dug a hole every day because the guy that my, my gunner uh, was like the worst hole digger on the planet, man. Like give that guy a shovel and man, we're talking hours and maybe he's got like a foot down. So I would just go ahead and dig and he would pull security because I knew that we might have some incoming and I want to make sure I have a hole and I'm not going to rely on him because uh, I'll end up not being in a fighting hole. <laughs> but this guy, he's not the kind of guy that I would have ever hung out with. I never paid attention to him like in school. I wouldn't have been mean to him because I never was that way, but I never would have talked to him or got to know him. And, uh, you know, I, after living in a hole with him for like five months straight in Iraq, every single night, I, it's, uh, you know, I love the guy. Like, you, you just can't help it. And uh, just it, whatever's going on, wherever he is these days, I, I hope he's doing absolutely amazing. I think about it all the time. But otherwise, I, I never would have even talked to him. It, would, it wouldn't have, our paths wouldn't have crossed. The things that he was into and the things that I was into, like, we just didn't um, mesh on any of that. But we became close. And uh, I can tell that same story with about, 20 or 30 other people as well. Very similar. Do you think it's the mission that kind of binds you together? Because we've heard that line kind of touted for a long time, that diversity is our strength. And um, while I can I can understand that from a certain perspective, uh, it's still out of many, one. And whenever you've got a singular focus, despite where we come from, we've got differences of opinion or different backgrounds, if the goal is the same, then overall, that should benefit us to have somebody who is a carpenter. And like you said, this guy's got technical ability. And as the leader, I'm not going to do my plan because this guy's plan might be better. And the better plan is actually better for all of us. And rather than it just being better for me as the leader of what it looks like to be better, it'll actually be better for all of us. And this guy will take more personal responsibility for the mission since he helped craft it and put it together. Um, so all of that makes makes a lot of sense if there is an overarching goal that kind of binds everybody together. Would you agree with that? I, I mean, yeah, it helps having the overarching goal and, you know, whatever your priorities are in your life, you know, your, your team or unit priority is going to take precedent over that. I mean, we see that in, and you're, you're going to go expose yourself to enemy fire in some cases mm -hmm. and you put yourself in a position where you could easily get hurt. And you're doing that for a number of reasons. One, you know, no matter what you how who you disagree with or who you're kind of angry at that day or or whatever else, none of that matters. Whenever you know a fight starts happening, or you know you have to go uh, conduct a raid or what kind of whatever mission that you have to do that day, whether it's just convoy ops, doesn't matter because you're out there trying to not get killed and trying to uh, make sure your buddies don't either. So I mean that definitely has an impact. But what the reason I think that the camaraderie gets so high, it's just it's trauma bonding. 
It's just it's just uh, embracing the suck all day long, every day. Uh, you could be deployed or you could be back in the rear in the Marine Corps. And the Marine Corps does a really good job of making your life miserable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you have this misery uh, that often loves company and just so happens that you have a lot of company. And, uh, in fact, you're going to be in a company, uh, which will be part of your unit. And uh, misery does love that. And it comes to see you every single day, all the time. And we create our own extra miseries uh, in our own little ways when we don't have those level of miseries, which is kind of interesting. But uh, I think it's a lot of trauma bonding. And I think it's a part of the um, uh, a warrior culture in any way is because you're going to have these people who uh, not everybody is as much of a warrior as Maybe that 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 person who's just all about it and uh, trains all the time, stays fit, eats right, thinks well, uh, stays healthy, and uh, and is always trying to increase his or her capabilities. You know, those things have a big impact, and they are also contagious. And you know, the other side of that, the uh, the bad attitudes or the cowardice can also be contagious as well. What I, what I think is probably the most interesting about the camaraderie that happens in the Marine Corps is, you know, it's the only place I've ever seen in my life where you've got these kids who went to recruit training. They were together for, you know, a few months and then they were in school of infantry for a little bit. And you'll see them out at the mall out in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And uh, there will be somebody dressed in the baggiest pants, you know, tees to the knees, uh, whatever else, you know, sideways, flat bill, and then you'll have a guy in cowboy boots with them, tight Wranglers, like a vest and a button-up shirt and a cowboy hat hanging out with that same person, you know, with the baggy fits. And then you'll have, a, you know, a Abercrombie model-looking dude wearing his uh, American Eagle and Abercrombie with him. And, and these are best friends, man. They're best friends, and they became best friends before they ever even saw the way each other were dressed because they were all wearing camis uh, in recruit training or PT gear. And then suddenly they meet at the mall to go grab pizza and hang out together. And you've got the craziest group of people you've ever seen in your life. It's super, it's crazy. You know, it's like, I don't, I've never seen it anywhere else in my life except for in the Marine Corps. And I'm sure it's the same for the other services. Yeah, because I mean, if if you look in the civilian world, those people shouldn't mesh. That's what we've kind of been conditioned to believe that, you know, it's kind of separate. And those are, you listed uh, basically cliques of different types of people that should be separate representing different cultures yeah exactly and yet because of their shared trauma they kind of are united together so i mean i'm sure you're not suggesting that but in a in a dark kind of way our civilian world is devoid of a lot of trauma and because of that we kind of don't really have very much to bind us together at least right now there's more division than i've ever seen in a long time um, and I feel like we're kind of looking for stuff to get mad at, waiting for it. And whatever you look for, you'll find, right? So yeah, you look for negativity, you're going to find it all day long. You look for positivity, you'll, you'll find, find it. it. Yeah. Um, and so from the civilian standpoint, like we've got a large logistics pile up. We've got economic impending uh, instability, which it's already, you, we can see inflation, you can see all these things happening. So is that something that we should be concerned with? Is it an upcoming trauma? I mean, is there something that civilians or Americans in general should be preparing for? I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist or a sociology 
whatever a sociology person does, if they even have real jobs. So I, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this, but what I'm seeing in the country right now is a great recipe for the patriots and uh, just good people, people who believe in America, who who love America and and believe in the the founders and and the documents that they wrote. I think we're in a, in a great position. We have the perfect recipe to begin coming together. I think we're at a very important part in uh, American history where liberty has been attacked more than it's ever been in so many ways. Like we could, we could talk for hours about that and, and how what's happening and, and everything else and uh, how there's a, what I believe is a very loud minority who is extremely vocal and talking about uh, and very accepting of whatever the, um, the government or whatever master tells them to do uh, because they don't really possess the ability to think beyond that and they don't know that there's potentially a better way but there's a lot of folks who, who have been quiet and they're starting to be loud and uh, I'm seeing people going into PTA meetings and really push back on a lot of this agenda that's being targeted toward the children uh, we're seeing people going in front of governments and not holding anything back and and really voicing their opinion sometimes not uh, in a tactful or politeful manner uh, because people are, are really fed up. And I, I think that we're, it continues to grow and continues to build. We see it on campuses all over the country right now. Usually we see the other thing on the, on campuses. So for, for our, us people who are, who are for liberty, uh, and, and truth and, uh, and, and what America really means and, and the real American dream, they're starting to, to really stand up even in areas where, they have historically been the most oppressed, and we don't see, we haven't seen that in many years, but we're seeing it right now. And I, I'm confident, you know, I, I'm or maybe I'm not confident. That's maybe a strong word. I'm very optimistic uh, about the, the direction that I think we have potential to be going in the very near future if uh, the steam continues to build, and you know, at the grassroots level, we keep talking about it and inspiring each other. You know, when's the last time you talked to somebody in person who you thought actually thought everything the way it was going right now was absolutely great? Nobody. Right. And we see it on the news. They keep feeding us this thing. I think they're working overtime right now to contain this. They contain what's happening in this country. That's a positive thing. It's not all positive. We got a lot of, we got a lot of uphill battle to go. Um, but I, I think that we're in a great spot right now to start moving in the right direction if we can get some good leadership. And I don't mean one person as president. I mean multiple people at the local level, the state level, and the federal level. And uh, I don't even know how much the president either way would have an impact on that. I'm sure it would have some. But the this, I think it's, it's local and, uh, and state is where we're really missing a lot of that strong mm-hmm. leadership. And there's a couple states setting some solid examples, and uh, hopefully that continues. Yeah, I mean, everybody puts a lot of emphasis on the presidential election, but won't vote for the local municipalities that they actually live in that actually directly affects their life on a much more regular basis. But with all that in mind, but how do you feel about civilians training with combat gear and running drills and preparing for some, you know, non-existent threat, quote-unquote, that if you turn on the TV, there'd be, you have no reason to fear, you know, you got no reason to fear your government or uh, any other foreign power coming in, not a problem whatsoever. So you don't need to be training, you don't need to be using any gear. There's been some former military guys who've said the same thing. What do you think about that? 
saying that they don't need to do that or they shouldn't do that or they don't rate to do that because they weren't in the military, I think it's the most un-American thing that you could possibly say. This is the Second Amendment. It's not written for deer hunting. It's not written for competition shooting. It's not sporting purposes. It is to de- defense against everything from terrorism to tyranny mm-hmm. uh, and, and self-defense of your family and yourself. I think it's awesome. I've been teaching out here since 2013 in the civilian world, and uh, I've had tons of people just come because they're hobbyists. You know, they're they're an accountant. They're an attorney. They're The chances of them having to use the skills that they're coming out there to learn is absolutely next to zero, especially if we're talking about rifle. You know, the handgun's more likely to be used because they carry one most days, but, you know, rifle being significantly low chances of, of using that mm-hmm. thing. But what better could somebody think could somebody be doing for a hobby? You're out there in the sun getting some vitamin D all day, right? You're out there getting some exercise. You're up doing something. You're getting a little more well-regulated with handling and manipulating your rifle, being a, a safe for yourself, safe for your family that you bought that gun to protect. And you're getting a little more lethal for the bad guys that mm-hmm. you might need to be lethal for. And uh, I, I don't think there's a better hobby that somebody could have out there. I don't care why anybody is in the class as long as it's not for nefarious reasons. Right. Um, I'm happy they're there. And uh, I, I want them to get the skills. I don't care what they do every day. I don't care what shape they are, their fitness level. They're going to get a, case of bil- or a capability increase. And hopefully they get inspired to, to get out there and, and get a better level of fitness mentally and physically. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's the same thing as, like, asking somebody, well, why do you train jiu-jitsu? Do you think you're going to get in a fight? Well, uh, I'm not planning on it necessarily, but life can kind of throw that at you sometimes. And it also makes people like me feel a lot better whenever I'm already prepared for the worst-case scenario. When I've thought it out, when I've done training, when I've put the time and effort into it to where if anything happens, I know what to do. And I don't have to panic and hope that the government's going to come save me. Because historically, that's basically never the case. They're, they're not really going to come for you. It's going to be you on your own, for at least for a little while. And you're going to have to take care of yourself and take care of your family. So why you wouldn't be prepared? And just, well, you know, things are good. So why even think about that? Why worry? That's not something that really computes with me very well. And I also believe that an armed society is a polite society. There's nothing in the world that I think would level the playing field more for women than being armed. As a woman, is always going to have its disadvantage, like pound for pound, genetically speaking. You're going to be at a disadvantage, but with a firearm, there's, there's nothing else more powerful that's going to level that playing field. So getting training as a civilian is something I also believe in. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Like I said, I kind of knew where your head was at a little bit but haven't really had you articulate it that way. It just seems strange to me that you need to join the military in order to learn how to run a rifle. Yeah, you, you can apply that same logic that you just, the example you used with females. And I teach a lot of females, and uh, there's a lot of them come to classes for, for very widely different reasons. But in a lot of cases, it's it's because they, they had an event that they were scared of, and they mm-hmm. wanted to not have that event again, or at least have some control and some strength to to maybe stop such an event if it ever were to occur for on the, for them or for someone else that they care about and they're around. But you could take that same logic and you could apply it to the the reason the Second Amendment was written. You know, it's to level the playing field. It's so the citizens of the country do not become subjects to what may become a uh, 
uh, a dictator or a monarchy type thing where uh, basically we're just told how things are going to be and uh, we do them and we're seeing a lot of that happening right now and, and I'm not suggesting that it's time to to use those firearms or not at all I think we're a long ways from that actually and I'm sure people out there will argue and I'll get the question in my inbox uh, what is the line that you'll finally do that at so that I'll always get that one all the time hey, it's not today it's I'm watching it and there's a lot going on that, that really concerns me but uh, like the founders uh, I think we need to make sure that we're doing absolutely everything that we can politically, mm-hmm. uh, legally, in anything that we can do until uh, all resources run out. And they set a very, very strong example for us whenever um, we, they pinned the Declaration of Independence and the steps that they took before they got to that point. Exactly. Like the idea that they just started shooting whenever things got a little uncomfortable is, is just not how it happened at all. It was a lot of time, a lot of effort, and um, when they publicly signed that document, you know, they were basically pinning treason. They, they wrote that down, and they knew that I will be hung for this. So there's no going back. They crossed the Rubicon at that point. And eventually, we may have that same thing. I, I'm with you on that. I don't necessarily think we're at that point just yet, um, but it was specifically designed to prevent that from happening. And I don't know that we've ever seen a perfect system, perfect government system, hasn't existed yet in any way, shape, or form. And eventually, you get the wrong people in charge, or at least a bad culture within the top levels of government, and it doesn't matter what's written on that paper. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says anymore because we get to do whatever we want. So if we're doing unconstitutional things, it's okay because we're the government. We get to do that. It's okay if, we'll call it foreign policy, what you would call treason. If you did it, we'll call that foreign policy because that's, you know, that's just the way it works when we're in charge. And eventually, the government is going to need to be afraid of its citizens again. And I think it's only as bad as it is. Because we have guns, it will be much worse. Like you can look around the world and see that things could be a lot worse. You look at Australia, for example, during all this, it's like it's not going very well for them. Well, I, I think I think they're afraid of their citizens again right now, a little bit, you know, maybe more than they have been in a very long time. You know, we've seen memos come out saying that parents coming to PTA meetings could be domestic terrorists, right? Then yeah. that caused a big problem and and justifiably so. And uh, there's there's been some some stuff coming out on that the last couple of weeks that that's in our favor, right? In the good guy's favor. Um, there's been, uh, they, they've been provoking veterans for many, many years and even more so now. Mm-hmm. And uh, just trying to say, oh, look, they did do something bad. Look, they are terrorists. Uh, they have been trying to provoke veterans for quite a while. And we've seen it a little bit more recently. And uh, the, the misinformation and the censorship that's happening all over social media, all over uh, the search engines you use, whenever you type in something, uh, someone is deciding what the first page is full of, what information that you're going to receive when you type in that search term. There's a lot of things that are, that are happening right now to try to contain what's going on, and they're still not able to do it. And uh, fortunately, the courts in a lot of cases are, are backing us up in not every case. But I think I see a lot of things happening right now where the, we have this vaccine mandate. It's not a law. It's not even really a mandate uh, for companies that have over 100 employees. And we've seen companies say, look, if we do this, all of our pilots 
are going to quit working. All of our employees are going to stop working. They're going to stop doing this. Uh, there's a huge walkout I saw yesterday that should be happening with uh, with Raytheon. They're going to lose thousands of employees. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening, I think, right now in the U.S. military and uh, like even companies like Raytheon and other defense contractors, companies that are heavily in defense and aerospace, having those kind of issues that are, could really hurt our readiness, our country's readiness, our ability to defend our country uh, and project power somewhere where we may need to project power. There's a lot of that happening right now. And we also see that these companies are coming out saying, hey, we're not going to follow this mandate. They're more scared of their employees, the citizens of this country, the companies are, the CEOs, the people at the top, the board members. They're more scared of the actions of their employees and that they can't push them around and tell them what to do in that way to take the vaccine. They're saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're not going to do this, government. We're more afraid of our employees than we are you. And this is, I think, this is a perfect example of government losing a little bit of control that they have falsely acquired. And some people, in some cases, have been given to them. And, you know, once you give up rights to the government, we usually don't see those things come back. I, I'm loving seeing people taking a stand right now. And uh, I hope to see it continues. And, and these big companies that are taking a stand, maybe not for the right for liberty, for the bottom line, for whatever reason, but... Those regular citizens down there are the ones driving that, and uh, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, and they're, the government has been using the business as the scapegoat and as the, the inflictor of the punishment, so to speak. It's like they're going to set the rule, the federal government's going to set the rule, and then not require individuals to follow it, but to require businesses to follow it. And how come they can't read the room? You know, How can you not get a gauge on how people are feeling about this Whenever you look around at all those examples you just talked about, clearly, like what we had 60,000 nurses or uh, people in hospital in New York get laid off because they wouldn't take the vaccine. Yeah, like, something like that. How do you get that kind of number and not think like, hey, we need to reprioritize our argument here. They go with, oh, you're not going to comply? Goodbye. We'll get rid of you and we'll replace you with the military. It's like, whoa, like that is not something I ever would have expected us to do. But we're so quick now. It's it's very quick to all or nothing. You're either with us or against us. And that, that worries me because, you know, we've seen it a little bit in some of the military, some of that top leadership. Do you think that we, that that's just optics, that it's just because that's what we've been shown? Or is there really some lacking going on with our military at this point do you think it's changed since you got out i don't know i think we always whenever we get out we're like oh man that never would have happened when i was in the corps or whatever so i i don't know i know marines are still marines and i mm -hmm. i was very proud of them what they were doing at the uh uh the airport in afghanistan the things we saw on the news every single day i had uh what they were doing i I had tears in my eyes watching a few times. I was just yeah. I was proud of those guys and uh, and girls that were out there. I mean, they were also. I don't think people realize what it takes to go in a crowd of people in like they were at the the Kabul airport mm -hmm. um, and start searching people and processing people with knowing that uh, 
the TTPs of, of our enemy or to sneak somebody, that would, that would be a prime target. Like You would be thinking every moment, like, I'm going to blow up. At any moment, there's going to be somebody that's close here with a, a suicide vest on. Uh, they knew that. Don't don't think for a second that they did not worry about that and think that was coming. But they laced up and went out there and did the same thing anyway, and they looked out for each other, and they did the best that they could. And then when things went bad, there was people acting very uh, heroically and and uh, and saving lives and, and all civilian lives, Afghan national lives, and uh, and and other service members. So we're at the top. You know, we have some issues definitely in uh, I think many branches of service that's driven heavily by politicians in the federal government in a lot of ways. And uh, I think there's also some some money involved mm-hmm. in some other ways, but nothing that I can you know justify or whatever. But you know, it always comes back to money. But I, the the Marines, the people at the, the soldiers, the people at the uh, the mid and, and lower ranks, like they are the same and uh, they haven't changed. And, and every time I see them doing something, uh, I see that, you know, a Marine's always going to be a Marine. I don't care what era it was, if it was back in World War II, uh, my era or or right now. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still proud of them and um, love it. I think that's why it bothers me so much, because I know that those are good guys and that they join for the right reasons and that they are doing the right thing and despite that fear they did exactly what you said and they laced up and they got the job done they completed the mission uh, but for the top leadership to set put them in that position set them up for this that's what really irks me uh, especially to hand over the way we did not just the airbase but all the equipment that we quote unquote sold to the Afghanis who then immediately sold it to all the Taliban. Like, we're not allowed to have any of that stuff here as citizens. But, once again, what we talked about earlier, that's just foreign policy. You know, it's just a mistake. Sorry about that. No big deal. They're more equipped than, like, I don't even remember the number, but a crazy amount of countries. And they were our enemy before, and they're our enemy now. So all we did was gave them a leg up and gave them some breathing room. And I can't imagine like obviously i'm not wasn't a military i'm not a general i'm not a, a grandmaster chessboard you know geostrategic imperatives type person to see like oh this is how this is good for us but at the face value of it i, I can't imagine how this is going to benefit us at all or why we would get up on national television and say we did it it's like the whole mission mission accomplished we got it we got out of there we, we we pulled out of Afghanistan. No big deal at all. But American citizens can't own SBRs. You can't. You don't get to own, unless you've paid your extortion fee, of course, but you don't get to own any of that. And, in fact, we'd rather it if you just didn't own any guns at all. Well, you just armed our greatest enemy, arguably, and gave them Black Hawk helicopters and the ability to come here to the United States. Wouldn't you want your citizens to be trained and armed and well the contrast is is crazy like the idea that we're trying to disarm the good guys here and and that's not for safety don't don't make any mistake about that it's uh they're trying to disarm the good guys here but we arm one of the worst organizations on the planet with absolutely state-of-the-art and superior equipment that is also whatever the Chinese already don't have is already going to have access to if there's right. any kind of electronics or anything else like that and, and things that we uh, try to keep classified. You know, it's all available now. Tons of tons of problems there, obviously. Yeah, and when we get back to the United States, the ATF 
has made it their life's mission for these pistol braces. Not because of any actual data that suggests like people are going to use them in crimes, but simply because, hey, we set up a rule and you found a way around the rule a little bit. So we're going to change the entire classification system of what weapons are again. Overnight, once it's passed, it'll be overnight. And then you'll just have to figure it out because ignorance of the law doesn't mean that, you know, you're not culpable if you, <laughs> if you actually break that law. So, say, look, American citizens should be trained with their firearms. Is that ever going to be a thing? Or is it it's just going to be a constant pull battle? It's never a push because we've been pushing for stuff for a long time. Like, I think we should be able to have full auto SBRs. Other people don't. I highly doubt we're ever going to gain any ground. We really haven't for a long time. So do you think there's ever going to be a time where it's established, set in stone? I think it's established and set in stone as much as it could ever be right now. We, we continuously win when we go to the Supreme Court, uh, when things pop up and, and they go to courts. You know, we, we have things that, that do get shot down, like small things, like the, the bump stock ban that President Trump did. Um, we have the... Uh, they're really working on the pistol stocks and everything right now or pistol braces. So we have these little small losses that, that we should not be losing and we shouldn't concede, but you know, we, we win in a lot of cases. And uh, I, I think it one of the most dangerous things that could happen to the Second Amendment is if the majority of the country actually believe that it shouldn't exist anymore. And I think we're a very, very long, long ways from that. I think we're a lot further away than anybody tries to portray in the, the media or in government. Uh, the majority of people in, in this country, uh, from everything that I've seen, are, are owners of, of firearms, no matter, the, no matter their political leanings. And uh, there's not as many people out there that they try to show that are actually uh, against the Second Amendment. You know, we have these little pockets where people care about it for a week because something happens, you know, because there's a shooting or something like that. And then everybody pretends like they care for a minute and then they forget and they go back to uh, their Amazon and whatever else it was that, that matters and they were doing. That kind of stuff happens, but I, I think we just have to be very careful and we have to, to do things better as a community because... You know, I don't believe there's any mortal, mortal man who should be able to tell me what I should or shouldn't own, what kind of weapons I should or shouldn't own, uh, what kind of ammunition or anything else, uh, what kind of capabilities those kind of weapons have. Uh, but as a community, we should be helping people and encouraging training and encouraging them to get better. Because every time there's an accident, every time somebody lets a round fly in a bathroom of a Walmart, every time somebody, uh, a, a kid accidentally shoots themselves or a friend with a gun, um, or someone gets hurt in, in an accident uh, in a grocery store or whatever, which happens, any of those things, I think it really, really sets us back. And uh, one of the biggest threats, because like we do continuously win at these things, is us. And, and not being good members uh, of the community. And, and I, I mean this, this is, I believe this part of our duty as Americans and responsible owners of firearms for defensive purposes is to go out there and, and when I see my friend not handling a gun well, we go take a class together. Like I, I encourage them to go get more training, you know, and I try to encourage them to be safer with the gun around those people that they bought the gun to protect. Because a lot of times I find that being a trainer out here since 2013, there's a lot of people who just don't know. They don't know 
what they're doing is dangerous. They don't know uh, that there's a better way and a safer way and a more efficient way. They just need to learn a little bit. And sometimes ego gets in the way. Sometimes they just don't know that they need to learn those things. And uh, I think we could do a better job as a community defending the Second Amendment just by encouraging our friends to get more proficient and safer and, and better at what they're doing and be able to articulate why they're doing it. This industry, or at least anyone who carries firearms, there's a ton of optics on the gun industry. And that's why optics matter so much. How things look matter in the gun industry because how it could be used against us. That's just about all I got for you. I believe that there's a large group of people that live in the fantasy world where they just wish the world was better and hope that it will be. And so because of that, I'm, I'm just not going to be in support of any guns in any way, shape, or form. It's like, I wish that were true. I wish we didn't have things to prepare for and defend against. But until humanity fundamentally changes the way we are, I don't see that as a, as a realistic thing anytime soon. But y'all, thank you for your time. Thank you to the listeners if you've made it this far. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, let me know what you think. Shaw, thanks for uh, being on your show and having me host it for today. I had a lot of fun. The Mag Life, out.